Chapter Nine of Philo Gubb, Corresponding School Detective. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April Gonzalez. Philo Gubb, Corresponding School Detective, by Alice Parker Butler. The Progressive Murder. When Philogab paid Mr. Meadowbrook the one hundred dollars he had received for retrieving the dragon's eye, Mr. Meadowbrook was not extremely gracious. I'll take it on account, he said grudgingly, but it ought to be more. It only brings what you owe for me, that utterly hopeless gold mine struck down to eleven thousand nine hundred dollars, and, this rate, you'll never get me paid up. I can't tell when there'll come along another dividend of ten cumulative percents on your stock, that I will have to charge up against you. Unless you can do better, I have half a mind not to let you see the telegram I got from my daughter, Cyrilla, this morning. Was the news injury it good? asked Mr. Grubb eagerly. As good as gold, said Mr. Meadowbrook. As good as utterly hopeless gold mine struck. What is Miss Cyrilla conveyed a remark of? asked the love-lorn paper-hanger detective. Well, now, said Mr. Meadowbrook, I went and paid two dollars and fifty cents for that telegram. One dollar and twenty-five cents I'll give you the telegram, and you can't read it from start to finish. Mr. Gubb, his heart palpitating as only a lover's heart can palpitate, paid Mr. Meadowbrook the sum he asked and eagerly read the telegram from Cyrilla. It said, Grant News, have given all fish diet, have given up cockfish, weak fish, sole, flounder, shark's fin, bass, trout, herring, dried kippered smoke and fresh. Finn and haddy, perch, pike, pickerel, lobster, halibut, and stewed eels. Gross weight now only nine hundred and thirty pounds of a dupois. Sweet thoughts, Joker, be lovey. You are touched, said Mr. Meadowbrook, and Mr. Gubb put the dim missive to his lips. But unless I am mistaken, you will be still more deeply touched when you pay for, when you read Cyril's next telegram. I so hope and trust, said Mr. Gubb and he returned to his office in the opera house block with a light heart. With the increase of fame that came to him as a detective, Mr. Gubb's paper-hanging business had grown, and had left Mrs. Murphy's house and taken a room in the second floor of the opera block house, near the offices of ex-judge Gilroy, attorney-at-law, and C.M. Dillman, loans and real estate man. The donor bore the sign, fellow Gubb, the executive, also paper-hanging. On this morning, Detective Gubb had hardly reached his office when Uncle Gabriel Horstetter, a shrewd smile on his face, opened Mr. Gubb's door. Uncle Gabriel Horstetter was a round-shouldered old man with a long white beard that came to a thin point. He wore old-fashioned gold-rimmed spectacles and rims forming irregular octagons, and on his head he wore one of the grandest old sail cats that ever saw the light of day in 1865. His principal garment was a frock coat, once black, but now greyish-green. He was the wealthiest man in town, and it was said that when he once got his hands on a silver dollar, he squeezed it so hard that the bird of freedom on it uttered a squawk. He opened Philogab's door hesitatingly. He expected to see an array of mahogany desks and filing cabinets, for which he would have to pay every time the detective turned around. When he peered into the room, he saw a tall, thin man in white overalls, with a bib, sitting on an up-ended bundle of a wallpaper, stirring a pail of paste with one hand while he ate a ham sandwich by means of the other. "'I guess I got in the wrong place,' said Uncle Gabe. 
thought this was a detective office. All right, all right. I'm him, said Philo Gubb, swallowing a hunk of sandwich with a gulp and wiping his hand on his overalls. You who? asked Uncle Gabe. I'm the detective, said Philo Gubb. You are? Hey, said Uncle Gabe. Oh, this guy's up, I recall. This guy's up, said Philo questioningly. Oh, this is her paper hanging and decorating stuff. No, this ain't no disguise. Even a detective has got to earn a living while his practice is building up. Hump, said old Gabe. Detecting ain't very good right now. It ain't, for fact, said Philo. Well, is that so? said old Gabe. Maybe you and make it do business. If you want to do a little detective work to sort of keep your hand in, maybe we can't do business. I ought to get paid something said Philo doubtfully. Pay? exclaimed old Gabe. Pay for being allowed to sharpen up a keep right? Why, you'd ought to pay me for letting you have the practice. It ain't going to do me no good, is it? I don't know what you want me to detect yet, said Philo. I might pay some, if it was a case that would do me good to practice on. I might pay a little. I knew it, said old Gabe. Now this case of mine, what sort of a case would you pay to work on? Well, said Philip thoughtfully, if I was to have a chance at a real sort of murder case, for instance. Hm, said old Gabe. How much might you pay to be let work on a case like that? Well, I dunno, said Philip thoughtfully. If it looked like a mighty hard case, I might pay a dollar a day. If it was a murder case. This case of mine, said old Gabe, coming further into the room. It's just that sort of a case, and I'll let you work on it for a dollar and a quarter a day. Well, if it's that kind of a case, said Phyllis slowly, I'll give you a dollar a day, and I'll work on it hard and faithful. A dollar and a quarter a day, insisted old Gabe. No, sir, a dollar is all I can afford to pay. All right, I won't be mean, said old Gabe. Make it a dollar and fifteen cents, and we'll call it a go. One dollar a day, said Philo. A dollar and ten cents, urged old Gabe. One dollar, said Philo. Tell you all let's do, said old Gabe. We aim at ten cents apart. You add on a nickel and I'll knock off a nickel. And I'll make it a dollar five. What you say? That's fair enough. You ain't come up any. I'll come all the way down. All right, then, said Philo. It's a go. Now... Who was murdered, and when he was murdered, and why was he murdered? Them's the thing I've got to know first. You pay me a dollar five for the first day's work, and I'll tell you, said old Gabe. Philip dug into his pocket and drew out some money. There, he said, there's two dollars and ten cents. That pays for two days. Now go ahead. He drew out his notebook and read the end of pencil and waited. The reason this is such a hard case, said old Gabe slowly, and choosing his words with care, is because the murder ain't completed yet. It's being dead. Right now? exclaimed Phil excitedly. Why, we ought be sitting here like this. We ought... Now, don't be in such a hurry, said old Gabe. If you mean we ought to be where the victim of the murder is, we are. He's right here now. I'm him. I'm the one that's being murdered. I'm being murdered by slow murder. I'm liable to drop down dead any minute. But I don't want to be murdered, and not have the fellow that murders me hang like he ought. I can't be expected to. It ain't human nature. No, it ain't, agreed fellow. 
A man can't help feeling revengeful against the man that murders him. If anybody murdered me, I'd feel the same way. How's he killing you? Slow poison? Gunshot, said old Gabe, shooting me to death with a gun. The correspondent school detective looked at old Gabe with amazement. Shooting you to death with a gun? he exclaimed. Ain't you told the police? I come to you, didn't I? asked old Gabe. If I was to set the police on the fella, he might rise up and shoot me to death all at once. How's he shooting you to death? asked Philo. By inches, Piggy, said old Gabe. Yes, sir, by inches. Every once in a while he takes a shot at me, sometimes through the window of my house, and sometimes when I'm walking on the street. And he ain't ever hit you yet? asked Philo Gubb. Hit me? exclaimed old Gabe. Why, he don't ever miss me. He hits me every time. There ain't a day he don't shoot and hit me, and some days he hits me two or three times. I dare say I'm almost dead now, if I knowed it. Philogot fondled his notebook uncertainly. What? What does he shoot you with? He asked. Well, I don't know exactly, said old Gabe. With a pea shooter. Philogot closed his notebook and slipped into his pocket. If all you was after was to get that two dollars and ten cents, you might have got it without wasting so much of my time, he said reproachfully. But I'll give you no move. What's the matter? he asked. Maybe I'm a fool, Gubb said bitterly, but I ain't no such fool as to think anybody's murdering nobody with a pea-shooter. Was you ever shot with a cannon? asked old Gibb calmly. No, no, nobody ever tried to murder me with a pea-shooter, said Philip Gubb. If you ever were shot by a thirteen-inch cannonball, said old Gabe, you'd know it. When a thirteen-inch cannonball hits you, there ain't nothing left of you at all. But when a one-inch cannonball hits you, I've got a chance to live a minute or two, maybe. That's the difference between a thirteen-inch cannonball shooting you and a one-inch cannonball shooting you. And a rifle ball's different, too. I got a chop of paper hanging, as in as I can get away from here, said fellow Gabe meaningly. He got a chop of detecting on hand now, said old Gabe. And as I was saying, a rifle ball acts different. Maybe it kills you the first shot, and maybe you can hold three or four rifle bullets before you die. But if they keep on shooting you, you get killed sooner or later. Probably five shots is all any man could stand. I guess that's about it. And then you came down to one of them little twenty-two caliber revolvers. A murderer could easy enough to shoot at you twenty-five times with one of them little twenty-twos before he killed you dead. But you'd be dead sooner or later. It's just a matter of what a man shoots you with that makes a difference in time. Pause, he continued agreeably. You don't expect a pea-shooter to kill me as quick as a thirteen-inch gun would. If you expect you're unreasonable, but the principle's just the same. Shooting is shooting. You know how the poem goes. The constant drip of water wears away the hardest stone. And that's just as true as murdering a man with a pea-shooter. And the beauty of it is that nobody knows you're committing a murder. If anybody catches you and asks you what you are doing, you just say, Oh, nothing, just shooting peas. Maybe that's so, a great fellow gub. It sounds reasonable, but the thing for me to do is to wait until you're dead and then catch the fella. It ain't a murder until you're dead. It ain't, ain't it? Snared old Gabe. He'd wait until I'm dead, I suppose, and then start out to catch the fella, and you'd lose all the help I can't give you. It ain't often a detective can get a corpse to help him like this. No, it ain't, agreed Fellow Gub. I got a suspicion who the fella is, said Gabe. Who? asked Fellow Gub. 
You'll go ahead with the case, when the tomes we settled on? asked old Gabe. Felga considered this carefully. Why, yes, he said at length. I will. Who is the fellow you think is doing it? Farrington Pierce, the cashier at the Farmers and Citizens Bank, said old Gabe, his eyes shining with malice and shrewdness as he leaned forward and whispered the words. My own son-in-law he is, and I'll tell you why he's trying it, for my money, so his wife will get it, and he can be president of the bank in my place. You've seen him have a pea-shooter? asked Philip Gubb. No, sir, said old Gabe, and I've never seen one of the peas. All I ever felt was the sting of it when it hit me. Maybe, said Philip eagerly, maybe it ain't a pea-shooter. Maybe it's a twenty-two short pistol with a silence on to it. Maybe it's only because he's been afraid to come nigh enough to you that he ain't killed you yet. It don't seem to me that any man would try to murder anyone with a pea-shooter. Hm, said old Gabe. Maybe you are right at that. That's something I never thought of. It sounds likely, too. A detective has to think of all of them things, said Phyllis simply. If I was you, I'd be more careful. I will, said old Gabe. See here, if you're shooting at me like that, it ain't no joke, is it? Tell you what I'll do. I'll let you all from paying me that dollar five a day. Just you hustle onto the case and keep at it, and I'll leave you work on it for nothing. All I want is that you send me word regular of what you find out. It is the custom for old graduates of rising sun correspondence school detectives to make regular reports in writing, said fellow Gubb. I'll start writing shadowing and trailing Mr. Farrington Pierce. According to lessons three and four, and I report regular every day. Everything you find out, said old Gabe, to leave out the thing, and particularly at night. That's when he shoots me the most. I won't leave him a minute, said Philo Gubb. I've got a man I hire to help me on my paper hanging, and I'll get him to finish up this job. I'll set trailing and shadowing Farrypiss right away. Old Gabe shook hands with Philo and went out. When the door was closed behind him, he chuckled and all the way home his face was creased in a grin. He felt that he had done a good bit of business and saved himself a good sum of money. If Philo Gubb in the meantime, having put a false beard in a wig in his pocket, went out. Across the street from the bank was Grandma's cigar store, where the idler men of the town loafed, whom they had nothing better on hand, and Philo Gubb entered and bought a cigar and took an easy loafing position near the front window. He commanded a view of the only entrance to the bank, and here he waited, a fifteen minutes after three fairy pairs came out of the bank. There's a man with an easy job, said one of the loafers. That fairy pairs, nothing to do till tomorrow. Too much time in his hands, I guess, said another, who, by the way, had more spare time than fairy pairs. From what I hear, he'd be better off if he had to work all day and all night. The widow? asked the first speaker. That's what they say, said the second. They tell me he's blowing all his salary and more that widow. Must make all get crazy to see any of his kin spend money that way. Or anyway, is a close one, old Gabe is. What you hear about Farry and the widow? Asked the first. Makes all get crazy, they tell me. He wants his girl to go to divorce. Who told you that? My girl. My girl who is working for his girl. From what she tells me, old Gabe is pretty well worked up about it. Said he'd get a spotter to follow Farry and get some evidence on him, if it didn't cost a blame much. I bet there won't be any divorces in that family, if all Gabe has to pay out any money. I bet they won't. And there ain't no detectives working for nothing so far as I hear. 
Not this year. No, nor next year, neither, said the other, and this was the nature of a joke they both laughed. But Philo Gubb did not join the laughter. He felt his face grow red, his lean hands folded and unfolded as he watched Farry Pears disappear around the corner of the bank building. If anyone felt like murdering old Gabe with a pea shooter at that moment, Philo Gubb did. Shadow and trail Farry Pears, the old skin flint coming with a fairy tale and getting the only fully graduated detective in Riverbank to shadow and drill a son-in-law and report daily. Divorce-case evidence, hey, talking murderer, and knocking a detective into doing scandal sleuthing free of charge. Philogub's face reddened again with a new anger as he put his hand in his pocket and touched the bed and wig he had placed there. But for this chance conversation, he would have been following fiery pairs now and making a fool of himself, but for this chance conversation he would not have lost sight of fairy pairs by day or by night. He went back to his office, put on his overalls, and went to work on a paper-hanging job. At six he started for home. A block down the street he met one of the loafers he had heard speaking of Grandma's cigarette straw. "'What do you think about it?' he asked Philo Gubb. "'About what?' asked Philo in return. "'Ain't you heard?' asked the man. Why, it's all over the town by now. Fairy Pears murdered old Gabe Hostetter not more twenty minutes after with Simon coming out of the bank. Shot him. Killed him first shot. Yes, sir. Killed him instantly with a little mite of a pistol, with about as much carry as a pea-shooter. Must have hit him in just the right spot. Did you see the pistol? asked Philogov nervously. No, I didn't, said his informant, but that's what the fellow told me. Killed him instantly with one of these hell little pea-shooters. That's what he said. What are you looking so funny about? If you insist to wish to know, said Philo Gubb, Mr. Gabe Hostetter wasn't murdered instantly at all. He was progressively murdered by inches over a long considerable period of time, like little drops of water. For a minute the loafer stared at Mr. Gubb. Then he laughed. Crazy, he scoffed. Crazy as a loon. And he walked away and left Mr. Gubb struggling for a suitably crushing retort. End of the Progressive Murder. Recorded by Paul Gonzalez in Cavita, Philippines.